if it looked like every other grill, people would just walk by. Oh, what's the price? Okay, thanks. Walk on by. This looks like another grill. Hey, my name is Felix Tia. I'm the host of Shopify Masters, a weekly podcast powered by Shopify, the easiest way to sell online, in person, and anywhere in between. Each week, we invite entrepreneurs like you to share what they've learned growing successful e-commerce businesses. In this episode, you'll learn the power of a unique-looking product, why you want to create a video comparing all of your products, and should you focus on releasing new products or improving existing products. Today, I'm joined by Mark Graham from Grilla Grills. Grilla Grills offers the best wood pellets, smoker grills, and ceramic grills to meet your needs and was started in 2012 and based out of Holland, Michigan. Welcome, Mark. Thank you so much for having me uh, on, on your show. Yeah, welcome aboard. So you guys have been around even before selling online, right? Yeah, we actually kind of got into this because we started making uh, pellet furnaces back in 2007, um, which is kind of a offshoot from our core automotive and construction business. So we diversified our way down to uh, pellet grills over the years, and uh, it's just part of the you know family-owned diversification project that's turned into a, a really nice business for us. Yeah, so this transition, tell us a little bit more about this. Like, what did you guys start off selling? Was it, you said automotive and construction products and then transition into, I guess, basically consumer grills? Yeah, it's kind of a fun story for me, actually, because uh, it's a family-owned business, and I actually grew up next to the family since I was four years old. And over the years, I watched it grow from just an automotive, you know, in a cow barn, stamping out little parts. And as I went through high school, the company got bigger and bigger, and I actually left for the military and I'd come back every year um, for like 11 years, and the company kept growing and growing. They got out. They continued with the automotive. They went into construction um, components for building poured concrete walls and foundations. And that basically was a diversification project that grew bigger than the automotive. And uh, when I got out of the military, I came back and started working work for the family. And uh, the uh, one of the, the my best friend, obviously, uh, was part owner in the business as well. So I started working with him in the automotive division. And uh, again, we wanted to do some diversification. So these corn burners slash wood pellet furnaces were kind of a hot thing in 2007 when heating costs are so horrific. So we developed a pellet furnace. And uh, with the, we had metal fabrication here the whole time, so it wasn't too bad for us. And it was a challenge, undeniably. But after doing that, traveling around, meeting dealers, going to shows, um, in about 2009 or 10, I started seeing these pellet grills, and I thought, man, those are pretty cool. Same technology, a little auger, a little computer, a little fan, and um, burning fire. And we already did that with the furnaces, so it was just a matter of making some sheet metal and some design. And then about 2010, we developed our first prototype and started kind of taking it out there. And from that point, um, it was pretty, de pretty decent. We went through dealerships, and uh, after that, for a while, we decided that, you know what, I think – the world's kind of moving more to an e-commerce type of business and we can kind of get rid of the dealers. And I know that's kind of terrible to say, but I think we all know that's the way the world's going to. And we found that we can bring a lot better value to the consumer by cutting out so to, the middleman, so to speak. And uh, man, it just catapulted our business. Yeah, so you guys, when you when you launched this new, you diversify, launched this new product line selling the consumer grills, was it a completely different audience slash customer base, or did you were you able to work with ex, sell it to existing customers? Um, we had a few of the pellet furnace people buy them, but it was basically starting from scratch from a consumer standpoint. 
Got it. How do you how do you kind of divide the resources at a company? It sounds like you know family-owned business. Obviously, not not a, a huge corporation or anything. So resources are always going to be scarce. How you how do you decide to split the the resources, the the manpower between the construction business and the consumer grills and the you know the furnaces? How do you guys divide all that up? Well, I think that's actually a huge benefit um, to have a larger company backing you up because I could get a little bit of time from our purchasing manager to look for pieces and parts. We could use our accounting people that are already set up to help with accounting. Um, I had other engineers I could bounce ideas off, had fabricators here already. So it was basically using all their time and even split my time up a little bit in the beginning. And as it slowly migrated into a bigger business, it was pretty darn nice that we had that ability not to have to hire all these people when we really didn't need them full-time in the beginning. So for us just to kind of tap them and use them to get us going, it was just a huge benefit. And I think one of the main reasons that we were able to keep our expenditures down low in the beginning as we developed and grew this business. Got it. That makes sense. As long as your production team essentially is already in place and the expertise is already there, that can certainly accelerate the, the the time to to market for you guys. So, how long did it take from the from the first kind of ideation phase where you realized this could be a thing to actually being able to put a, a product on the shelves? I think if, if I remember right, two thousand nine, two thousand ten is when I first took the first one to a hearth and home show as a prototype. And then when I was going to that show anyway, because of the furnaces, so I kind of took the, uh, what's referred to as the OG now, which is the original gorilla, the first design. And I took it to that show with me and it has has a unique look, which is what we wanted. And we kind of set it off into like its new products section. And I kind of stood to the side and watched uh, what people did. And so many people gravitated towards it because of the look and then the, the construction quality of it. And then we drug it out by our other booth by us the next day. And we had so many people come up to us and say, man, this thing's cool. This thing's unique. This thing's different. All the keywords that we thought would are essential to get someone's attention. And then once you have their attention, if you back that up with a, a good quality build, um, that's a recipe for a, a good business. And then from that point on, we're like, man, I think we may have something here. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's kind of when we figured out, we got let's get after it. Yeah, so that's a that's a great approach where you took the prototype to a trade show and you just kind of observed. What were some things that you guys wanted to learn before going to this trade show about the prototype? Well, it's a, like as I mentioned earlier, it's a very, the the gorilla, which is the first one, is very unique looking. So I was a little bit worried it was too over the top and people wouldn't get it. Um, but in this world, you almost have to have that because if it looked like every other grill, people would just walk by, oh, what's the price? Okay, thanks, and walk on by. This looks like another grill. But if you have something that's unique and different, that's what people look for these days. And um, that's when I realized, you know what? Hey, this is something uh, that is catching people's attention, and it's unique. And it's not just another one that is going to show up in a big box store, which is something that we just don't do and we don't ever want to do, quite frankly. I like that. You want a unique, you want a unique looking product. You want it to be unique enough so that it breaks the customer out of this kind of price shopping zone that they're in. How is there? Can you get too unique though? It sounds like you were kind of nervous about that, right? How, nowadays, like how far are you willing to take it? No, you're a hundred percent right. So it was, although it was good to get people's attention. The other negative of that, since we then we started our e-commerce store people couldn't touch and feel it. And that was that's a huge problem in e-commerce. 
you know, the uh, grill, people love much like a car or anything. You really want to get in and drive it or feel it and see how it's built. And for the Gorilla, since it had a different shape to it, people just didn't get it. They're like, okay, it looks cool, but what, what is this thing? You, you couldn't even see inside of it. So it kind of, in hindsight, it hindered the growth in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Although people that got them absolutely loved them, there's a lot of people that just didn't get it from looking at a picture. And at the trade shows, they can walk up to it. But when you're talking about an e-commerce store, they got a picture and some videos that are about the best you can do. So what, honestly, what really catapulted the business is when we came out with our silverback. Now, the silverback is your traditional barrel-style smoker with a smokestack off to the side, which was what I was like way against in the beginning because I didn't want to be like everybody else. But when we came out with that one, that just really catapulted the business, um, and we've maintained our build quality. And now we really get gathering a presence. People understand it's a smoker when they see the smokestack coming off to the side, which the gorilla did not have. Um, but what's fun for me, honestly, right now, is that the people that are buying the silverback um, more than the gorilla, they're getting it. And now they're starting to see more and more people get the gorilla. And the feedback these people are getting from the gorilla is like, man, I love the unique. It's just different from everything else out there. And these people are like, dang it, maybe I should have got that one. So I, I see this transition now that our name's getting out there. People are understanding who we are, the quality of our grills. They're seeing more people using the Gorilla. They're coming back like, okay, it's different, and it's actually pretty darn good. And that's a transition that we love to see because we all always wanted to be different, just not another company with a grill that's maybe maybe or maybe not in your price range. I see. So the way it worked out for you was that you had some kind of almost introduction product to that that was relatable or related to other products people knew about, which was a silverback. It looked more like a traditional grill smoker, so people understood what 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 it was. But then once they discovered your other products or they discovered the brand, that's when they were more willing to be kind of adventurous and potentially try different products like the Gorilla uh, out because it looked you know much more unique, but they understood the brand, understood what kind of products you guys are putting out there. They're now willing to kind of take that risk and try a different type of product from you. Absolutely. I actually seen a guy, we have an owner's group on Facebook that's just been tremendous for us, over 11,000 people. And a guy posted the other day, he goes, all right, that's it. Uh, I'm selling my silverback, I'm getting a gorilla. I mean, they do the same thing. They just look different, but they're so passionate about it. And they just want, everybody wants to grill it, but everybody's scared of it just because it looks a little different. But now that people are seeing that it performs actually a little bit better because of the shape, now people are saying, wait, these things are good? Dang it. That's it. I wanted that to begin with. I was just scared of it. So I, I love this transition that we're seeing a little bit. Awesome. So you mentioned that when you first started, you were, you're working with, um, you know, the middlemen essentially, and then you were able to go online, uh, set up an e-commerce presence and then cut the middleman. Now, looking back, would you still, would you go with the e-commerce route right away or are there benefits with starting with working with the distributor to begin with? Um, that's a good question. I think we thought we had, um, the hole in one here with the distributor, um, or the distribution network we already had set up with the furnaces because we figured the grill would be a great off-season product for these brick-and-mortar stores. So we're like, man, I don't need to set up distribution. I already have 60 to 80 dealers set up through the United States. All I got to do is come to them, say, hey, guys, we have furnaces, but guess what? We got a grill now, too. And it, that did work. And so it got us in front of a lot of people really fast. But what really killed us at that point is our, was our price point because we had our price, but then the dealers did their thing and jacked it up, um, you know, what they needed to make. And it just 
blew us right out of the water compared to some of our uh, our competitors. Got it. Now, when you are introducing new products to a distributor, what's that process like? How do you present in a way where they you know they 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 want to carry it in their store? Yeah, and well, one of the things that we were able to do is those sixty plus dealers that we probably had. I personally drove around like Tommy Boy in my my truck and trailer all <laughs> over the U.S. And I believe the proof is in the pudding. And I didn't do any cold calls. I didn't call anybody. I would literally drive up to these places and say, "Hey, you got five minutes? Come out here and take a look at it." Because you know you got to when you feel something and you feel the quality and you. That does a lot more than someone said, hey, I got a new grill. You want to take a look at it? No, nah, we're too busy today. But when you show up, say, hey, come check this out real quick. I just drove here from Michigan. Yeah, yeah, okay. They come out there. And I knew once they touched it and uh, had an opportunity to f- see it in person, it, it was game over. And that's what worked well for us. And we already, we already had a good history with these. Most of these dealers, you know, I was very close to them anyway over the years. So they knew that what we put out was good quality. So there was a lot of trust there as well. Got it. So when you are now making this transition to to selling online, what are some of the changes you have to make at the company? Like new, what kind of new skills did you guys have to learn during this transition? That was massive because as we grew, the biggest thing I think for us was the customer service side of it. Um, and not to mention the just managing a website, um, inventory through the e-commerce platform. And Shopify has been you know fabulous for us on that standpoint because a lot of the stuff's already integrated. But again, we we did nothing consumer direct ever. We're a you know a construction tier, or I'm sorry, construction based company that sold to dealers. Um, we never sold product to the end user, so it was a B two B. And for us, understanding, hey, we got to deal with customers. Customers calling in, hey, I can't. Where's my product? Uh, hey, I got an issue with my grill. Or hey, when's it going to ship? Hey, is, I can't track it. All these things that we just were like, holy cow. And hey, the website's locked up. And <laughs> so for us, it was a real eye-opener to try to figure all that out. And so our learning curve was kind of like a totem pole, so to speak. Yeah, I think I think you mentioned too to us was that providing the best customer service was really important to this growth. Can you say a little bit more about this? Like nowadays, like what do you consider mandatory levels of great customer service? Like what are some of the things that you want to make sure you guys get right? Well, one of the things we do, we we have an automated answering service, but it rarely ever goes to that. We have enough staff here all the time that are highly skilled. You call in, you're going to get an, you're going to get a human here within a couple of rings. Um, and if that ever gets to where it's too many rings, we'll hire more people. You have to get somebody right away, not get pulled, pulled into a, a customer service queue. And the other thing that we're able to do and myself and a couple other, um, employees here, we answer calls on the weekends. And, uh, Although it takes a lot of time out of our lives, um, it absolutely 100% makes a difference because those people that email in and uh, say, hey, I got a problem or I got a question, when you respond to them on a Saturday night or a Sunday morning, you know, which doesn't take a lot of time. For me, I got my cell phone and we all know that you can do most of your work from your cell phones these days. I just simply email them real quick, takes me two minutes. Hey, you bet we do have these available and, uh, you know, you can buy them online. There's no taxes or whatever it may be. And we get a response saying, man, thank you so much for answering on a Sunday. And it took two minutes out of my life, um, which is not that big a deal if I'm sitting on my recliner anyway, but it made that sale right there. And uh, that's what I think was huge. And we continue to do that. 
um, in the after hours, and uh, and we have to you have to answer quick and fast. Otherwise, you're you're going to lose out these days. Mm. Now, when you have a new member joining the customer service team, how do you make sure that they're ramped up and kind of taught these standards that you guys have for the company? Well, what we've done in the past, uh, we, we start them out on just the front desk where they basically, we have a, a checklist of things that could go wrong or things that, the standard questions. There's probably about 12 questions that get answered, are asked all the time. Where's my grill? When's it going to ship? Um, what prices are they? Uh, and majority of this is almost all the information is online, but as you know, as Americans, we'd rather just talk to somebody real quick and get Mm -hmm. an answer. (laughs) So we have some canned answers. And so we put them up there first. And once they, they basically filter out, they'll try to answer the questions. And if it's above what they know, they'll say, you know what, I'm sorry, but I'm going to get someone else that can help you right now. So then, you know, go to one of us other more seasoned um, employees. And then we usually kind of pace around, walk in the office. And uh, at least I do, which probably drives them crazy. But after we get off the phone, you know, we talk to them, hey, this is what the answer was, or they overheard the answer. And what we find is they develop um, their own tactics and and listen to us talk. They gather that information and they get better and better and better. So we find like, all right, you're full blown. Let's train somebody else new. So they get a little taste of it. They they fight through those initial calls and answer what they can and, and give them the opportunity just to pass it off if it's above. And um, I think a lot of people appreciate that. And sometimes like, I don't want to tell them I don't know the answer. I was like, I think they'd rather you say that you don't know the answer instead of trying to um, come off like you're really trying hard, but you don't know. (laughs) People Mm -hmm. are going to read through that. Mm -hmm. So just own up to it. Say, hey, I'm sorry. I just don't have the answer. But guess what? Give me 30 seconds. I'll get the answer for you. That's awesome. Do you guys have any like documentation internally that you like like to create to for for training purposes? Yeah, we have a a Google Doc that, again, has... those top probably dozen questions that people ask, either shipping it questions, um, uh, how the, and as far as the, how the product is built and constructed, um, they all, you know, all of our employees have the grills and they all use the grills. And just that alone, you know, they can answer the majority of the questions because they know everything about them. So that's, that's definitely a key. Makes sense. So you you mentioned to us that word of mouth has been one of the biggest marketing tools. In oh yeah, what, what, how does that work? How does how are you able to to encourage people to kind of share the, the, their grills, share their experience with the grills? What's fun about that is we actually don't have to encourage them to do this. And I, I guess the only thing I can relate it to is like if I was selling tires for a car, nobody likes to buy tires for their car. And if I get a nice set of tires on my car, I'm probably not going to go tell my friend, like, man, these tires are nice. Mm-hmm. They're tires. But this is a fun product. People enjoy it. They cook for other people on the weekends. And what we find is, uh, especially here locally, we've got a couple large businesses. And uh, one of their guys will stop by, pick up a grill. The next week, um, he comes by with his buddy that he works with. He gets a grill. And it just it's like a snowball effect. And they start sharing pictures. Oh, check out what I smoked this weekend. This is what I cooked. And it just spreads like wildfire. And I know the one company in, in particular, there's probably at least 10 people in this engineering group that have the grill. And it all started off with just one guy buying it. I, I didn't have to do anything or we didn't have to do anything. They just enjoy the grill so much. And, you know, who doesn't like talking about good food, man? Mm-hmm. So it because they you're you're creating such a, such a great product, I'm, I'm assuming that there's been a lot of kind of feedback that you've been 
able to take in and improve the product over time. What's that like? What is that like to do with a, a product that's, you know, that's pretty large, right? And it sounds like that requires a good amount of production to, to create. How do you incorporate customer feedback into the design of products? That's a great question and uh, a great point too. Um, so we had the initial silverback <clears throat> that we came out with. And after the first year of sales, we had a good idea of where what people were asking for that our grill didn't have at the time or what problems that we had seen over the years. So when we two years later, we came out with a new version of that grill and we didn't revamp the whole thing. We just come out with a brand new grill. What we did is we fixed that grill. Everything that we had a, a concern about, we fixed. Everything people asked for, we added. And I think there's something to that. And nowadays when you get a new car, they, they tell you never to buy the first model because they're still working out the bugs, right? As soon as they work out the bugs, guess what? They come out with another mm -hmm. model car mm -hmm. and then they start with the bugs all over again. So for us, we just keep trying to make the current chassis, so to speak, better. So for instance, what we did when the second version of the Silverback came out, it looks identical, but all the internal components are now stainless steel because people are like, oh man, I really like your grill, but I, I really want stainless steel, so sorry. So we're like, okay, we need to take note of this. The other thing people are asking for, I really wish I had a way to dump the pellets out so I could change the flavor of pellets. I'm like, okay, noted. And so two years later, we come out with all those things that we didn't have that people asked for. And we addressed the issues that we've seen from a design standpoint. And then we came out with a grill that addressed uh, both of those avenues. Man, it was huge. And that's how you get better. You listen to your consumers and you adjust accordingly. Mm. Which iteration are you guys on now? This is the second one. Got it. Now, when you are going through this process, how do you know what kind of feedback you should be taking? So I'm assuming that there's tons of people that give feedback <laughs> on different things, yeah. right? And you can't take all of them. How do you know which one is are ones that you should take seriously? Well, you got to go by the number of requests um, and what people are asking for. And that was pretty easy. The stainless steel and the pellet dump was the main things. Um, the biggest thing that we always kept in mind is the cost. And our theory has been from day one that we're not going to put a ton of bells and whistle out on the whistles on this thing to make it so expensive that the average consumer can't buy it. Because one, we want to keep it in a price range that it's, you know, uh, more people will be interested in. And in my, in my personal opinion, the more things you put on stuff, the more things can go wrong. And uh, so at, from some standpoint, my military days, the kiss, keep it simple is that we still try to think that way. I'd rather put more money in the thickness of the steel, the build quality, than putting bells and horns and whistles and light bulbs all over the thing and just so it looks cool. And I think a lot of people appreciate that. Mm -hmm. So speaking of you know talking with the community, you guys also found a lot of value in, in Facebook groups. And I think, was it that an owner of one of the grills started a Facebook group for you guys? Yeah, that has been absolutely amazing. John Bazak, uh, he... To your point, you're absolutely right. And I think it was October of 2016, which we're probably six to eight months into our business. Uh, John reached out to me and said, hey, do you mind if I start a group just for owners? We're like, uh, yeah, sure, go ahead. You know, not thinking anything of it. And now we're, I, I remember I was down at a World Food Championship and it was a month after he started the group. And he called me when I was down there. I'll never forget it. Walk into the parking lot. I said, hey, Mark, we hit 100 people in the group already. I'm like, no way. That's awesome. And we're like going crazy. If I look right now, I think we're at uh, 11,000. 
and 200. Yeah, wow. we got 11,200 people in this group now. These are all owners of your products? No, not necessarily. Um, I, I don't know the percentage of them, but there's quite a few of them that are. But more importantly, there's a majority of those people aren't yet. But what we find is that they come to these groups, they see the conversations going on, they get feedback from these people. Like, man, I've been watching. You guys are putting out some dang good food, and your feedback is great. They don't bash other products. They just say, hey, man, I love my grill, and I've told everybody about it. And they get part of this family, and they just like, you know what? I had a guy, matter of fact, if I can find this post, just the other day. He goes, all right, I've been watching you guys for about six months. I can't take it anymore. You guys are awesome. These grills look awesome. I'm jumping in. And that's just so cool. Then that person becomes a new super fan. Then he starts talking about it. And what's awesome about the Facebook side of it, as we all know, that person may be in our group, but he may be in another barbecue group and two or three other barbecue groups. So he may be over there and says, hey, by the way, guys, I just bought this new grill. Well, guess what? He just told this whole other group. So it's a networking beast that Mm -hmm. is just amazing. Right, that makes sense. Do you guys do anything to, to I guess, participate actively in these groups? Well, what we, what we said from day one is we wanted to keep it organic for the owners. It's not ran by Grill the Grills. However, I do step in there to answer questions only if the group is struggling with them. And the same with our pitmaster. If the pitmaster is like, they see people like, God, what do I, how do I make this, whatever? The group is getting pretty powerful and very intelligent at this point, but still... We, Shane will come in there, our, our pit master, and say, you know, hey, just try this this recipe. It works well. So I think people appreciate the us jumping in there every now and then. And uh, we don't want to be in there too much to, to dilute it and make it seem like a company-ran group. But we do it just enough to people, you know, appreciate us sticking our nose in there and helping them out when needed. Right, makes sense. So I want to talk a little bit about the logistics and shipping for a product that's this size. What is that like? What kind of challenges have you do you face when shipping a product of this size, especially through e-commerce? Yeah. Well, the first thing is the price is brutal because what we offer, our price of our grills includes shipping and is threshold shipping. Shipping. What that means when it leaves here on a pallet, they contact you. Uh, once it gets in an area or terminal near you, they set up a delivery window. They deliver it to your house with a drop gate truck. They take it on a pallet jack and roll it right up to your door, your, your garage door, and because they are heavy. So that service runs is very expensive, but in this day and time, people would love that thing. You know, They don't have to go throw it in the back of their truck. They don't have to um, run to the store and then try to figure out how to get it out to the checkout line. They order it. It shows up right at their doorstep. Now, there is a, obviously, like I said, it's, it's pretty expensive, and that's obviously built into the price of our grills, but uh, people absolutely love that part of it. The, the logistics side of it is, you know, the damages that can be incurred from shipping from here to California, and they show up and they're damaged, and, you know, that stinks, but, you know, you go back to the customer service side of it and jump on it right away and say, man, I'm sorry, I got a new one going out for you tomorrow, and you move on. Mm, that's awesome. So the the shipping is built into the price of the grills, like you mentioned. Other than that, like how do you determine when you think about pricing? How do you what what kind of exercise do you guys do, or how do you determine what is the right price for your products? Well, what we also decided from day one is that we weren't going to be this company that had sales on our grills every every two months. Anytime you know the weather changed, we're going to have a sale. Our theory again, and I go back to the kiss theory, is. We got one price, that's what it is all year long. We have never 
discounted the grills or ran a sale on the grills, the current models. What we have done is on rare occasions, we did a Black Friday sale on some old version grills, kind of trying to blow out some old inventory. We have ran a few specials where if you buy a grill, you get some accessories for a percentage off. But in all, for all intents and purposes, our goal is to build a, a price and a margin that we're comfortable with, nothing more, nothing less, and just that's what it is every day. That way you don't get people, oh, I missed out on the sale, or hey, when's it, when are you guys going to have a sale? I'm just sitting here waiting for you guys to have a sale because once you do one, people just expect it. That, hey, when's the next one coming? Hey, when's the next one coming? And you basically devalue your product because they're just waiting for it to come back down to that price they seen two months ago. Right, that, that makes a lot of sense. So I want to talk a little bit about the the, the, the site, the e-commerce site. So one interesting thing that I saw in there was this uh, video where it compares a silverback versus the gorilla. What was the idea behind creating something like this? Oh, the silverback versus the gorilla? That was based on people calling in, asking the question 45 times a day. Yeah, it's like the top is the very first thing you see on the website. Yeah, because, I mean, people are calling, they're like, man, I really liked the silverback, but that girl that really intrigues me, what's the difference? And after getting asked that question over and over and over, we're like, you know what? People love videos. And for us, and it's not not being lazy, but how can I get that person the information so they don't have to call? And it's not that we don't want to talk to them, because once honestly, once we talk to them, it's better. But that I want to have that information in front of them as soon as possible. So after being asked that many questions, I called our uh, marketing group said, come over here, let's just shoot a video of what I say on the phone every day. <laughs> and it's worked out really well. Amazing. So what other kind of changes have you guys made to the, to the site or have tried to make recently that have made a big impact on the conversions or sales or just like overall customer experience on the site? Well, one of the things we're trying to do right now working with Shopify is trying to work on our conversions. Um, and what we're learning, and again, this is a massive learning curve for us, is that how the user interfaces on the website, how easy it is to navigate from, hey, I want this, here's the information, put it in my cart and check out. If that process isn't smooth, people are, may get turned off and like, eh, I don't know if this is legit, and then back out of it. Um, so we're really trying to learn that whole avenue and working with Shopify's team there where, where we see some room for opportunity. Then also using some of the other plugins out of follow-up with customers that may have abandoned their cart. Hey, I see you left your cart. Are you guys interested? What did, did we miss something? Is something wrong? And those are the tools that you know help engage these customers that were interested, but then they, they got they got a little bit leery. And how do we reach back out to those people? Have you changed anything from that that checkout process to 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 make it smoother, either removing things or adding things? We're in the middle of that right now, something fierce. <laughs> <laughs> nice. And because this is like a, a product that's you know on the, on the higher end when it comes to buying and selling things online, and just for anyone that's listening, it's around it's the $700, uh, I guess, for the product that's on sale, up to $800 for, for, for the Gorilla and the, the Kong here. How, I'm assuming it's the, the sales cycle is much longer, right? People are considering a product for much longer than they're to buy a T-shirt, for example. How do you make sure that you're you know, staying top of mind when people are kind of shopping around for other products? So again, those are one of these things that we're learning. One of the things we're doing now is more digital ads through Google and Facebook, where um, you got to touch a person. You know, they say seven times before they make a purchase. 
So sending them one ad is not going to do it because a lot of the people we talk to and a lot of the emails we see, they're like, all right, guys, I've, I've been searching girls for two to three months, but I keep coming back to you guys. I've, I've seen, I keep watching your YouTubes. I keep seeing your reviews. I've been to these groups and everything seems good. So I think I'm going to go with you guys. So it's key is having all those different uh, informative areas, be it YouTube, um, recipes on Facebook. They keep seeing us in all these different areas, and it just gives them a better feel, I think, that, hey, we're a legit company. And after a few times, like, okay, you know, maybe these guys are the real deal, and everything I see is positive. And uh, it's just it's been working really well for us. Are these uh, reviews and recipes, are they done by the, the community or, or others outside of the, the business or within the, the company? Um, within the company. Uh, we have a pitmaster that you know, we, we partner with out of Kentucky, and he's actually going to come here this week as well. And we're going to shoot a bunch more recipes. Um, but honestly, a lot of our posts on social media um, uh, are taken from our customers' pictures. Uh, that owners group I, I spoke of, they've become some picture-taking monsters, man. They produce some great pictures because they're all trying to brag what they can do, right? So they put, use these pictures. They share it to our Facebook we use the pictures in newsletters and everything else because it's you know it's free and it carries a little more weight when we're we're showing what customers mm-hmm. are doing, not what our professional pitmaster is doing. And I think people can relate. Makes sense. Well, where did the idea come behind uh, creating content around like the pitmaster and the recipes and all that? Like, where did that come from? I think we knew that we we're a metal company. We had no idea how to cook cook food, <laughs> so <laughs> we need someone to help in that. You know. It's, you can't be good at everything. So what you need to do is surround yourself with people that are good in those areas. And it's absolutely essential that we knew and we had somebody on staff that knew how to cook and um, be able to talk to talk. And that was a key component for us. Got it. Now, what about running the, the, the business as a whole? Any any tools or apps that you guys rely on to, to keep the business running? Right now, in... Uh, from the design standpoint, you know, we use a different software, but from the customer service standpoint, one of the apps we use is Zendesk. And that's key for us for, you know, keeping our consumers, getting them answers, creating tickets, making sure we're getting them answers back. And obviously the Shopify app is awesome on my phone. I can do most everything from my phone using Shopify and Zendesk. If I need a refund or an order, if I need to track an order, I can do that all from my phone, sitting on my chair at Saturday at home. Um, and I've done that. People would call me. Or email in, and I was like, "Oh, what, hey, where's my where's my order at?" I'll jump on my Shopify app on my phone, I'll track it, screenshot it, email it to them, and boom! And man, that kind of response is just huge. Yeah, it sounds like you're you're involved in a lot of the of the the business. Like, how, how what portion of the company? How many members of the team are dedicated towards like Gorilla Grills versus the the rest of the business? Uh, pro- our core business is we got well over a hundred people, and we're probably um, maybe 10, 20% of that. Um, but right now with the e-commerce, what's exciting about it is you don't need to have massive staff. I mean, the, the girls come in here, we inspect them and we ship them out where you have to staff up, you know, is the customer service side of it. Product coming in, product going out, you, you do have to increase your shipping, uh, staff, but our staff out there can do probably close to double what they're doing right now. If we had the orders, and um, it's more just the handling of the consumers, you know, internally. Right. So if you were to invest somewhere in the, the e-commerce business, it would be around staffing and, and customer service? 
Yeah, for sure. The, the customer service is, is the definitely the hardest part because you have to be, to get someone in shipping, and I, I don't mean to take away anything from shipping, but to hire somebody else just to help a guy box up skids and ship them is not that big a deal. What, what is hard is someone that can talk to people uh, intelligently, um, respectfully, and knowledgeably to if they got a question on the grill, if they got a problem with the grill, if they to have someone that knows how to talk to people is, is key in customer service. And if you're rude to people, it's just not good. So that's where it takes a little more time to find the right people. And we've been absolutely blessed with a a staff here. That's just absolutely awesome on phone on the phones. What what do you look for when you're hiring for, for the customer service role? How do you make sure you're hiring the right person? I'm not going to lie. I stole a couple people from our core business <laughs> because we're, when I moved over to our other building, when we kicked this one off, there was a couple key people over there that I'm like, uh, can I have them? Cause I know they're really good. So I stole a few people from over there and, uh, the rest of them is just, you know, we just do the interview process and it seems weird. And I, I went through a lot of, a lot of resumes and I, I'm not, as, as much as resumes are important, I go with my gut more than anything and just how I, someone talks and I don't know, it's just your gut, man. I, I know it seems weird, but you can just tell if someone's a good person and they try hard and, and they mean well. I mean, that's all I'm looking for, man. I mean, I don't need a 14 page resume to tell me if you're good or not. Mm-hmm. So what do you want to see the business go next? Like, what do you want to see it grow towards this, this year? Well, we just want to continue to see the, the trajectory we've seen from 2017 and 2018. If we've seen that same growth, we'd be more than ecstatic. Um, we do f- know for a fact, you know, if you grow too fast, you can get yourself in a cash flow problem. And I don't think it's healthy. Um, so for us, if we can maintain the type of growth we had last year, um, we won't get ourselves in a, um, an inventory problem, a cash flow problem, a customer service where we can't keep up with it and you start tripping on your self that's that's where you got to be a little careful you go too fast too hard right the one thing i did see on the the site i guess in your product line is that there are lots of accessories that you you sell for each of these products how does that kind of fit in into the the entire production like how do you make sure that you have the accessories that your customers need or that they're asking for 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 the products that they buy yeah it's well i I tell you a quick funny story that goes right along with that for uh there's one one particular um, accessories called the, uh, well, it's called the accessory pack, ironically, but, um, what it includes is this little thing that clips on the front of it. And this happened to be something I seen on my grill at home. I noticed the front was getting a little bit dirty with grease, which for me, was driving me nuts. So I came into work. We just designed something on the laser center. We cut it, clipped it on. I put it on mine at home. I'm like, Hey, that's kind of nice. And I was like, Hey, you know what? I wonder if the people want one of these. So I, Literally had um, Jenna, one of our staff here, we did a Facebook Live, and I held up this little widget at that time. I said, hey, guys, I made this little thing for my grill at home, and I did this in the uh, Facebook group, which at the time probably had 9,000 people in it. I said, what would you guys think? Would you guys want this? And immediately, everybody's like, oh, man, I'll take one. I'll take one. So then I had a little fun with it. I'm like, all right, what would you guys name this? So I give the I, – so what really included the customers in on the – concept and in potentially even naming the thing and man did that work out well from that point on the owners group you know i bounce ideas off them i say hey what do you guys what would you like to see um obviously some of them are ridiculous and there's no way i'd make them because you probably sell two of them but they just want one personally but you can weed through the the madness and uh 
then bounce the ideas off them. And it's really, and for us, the other benefit is we have laser centers here, like I mentioned, so we can build a couple prototypes, test them here, send them out to, we have probably, I would say 12 people in the group that we're pretty darn close to, and they do a lot of beta testing for us behind the scenes. I'm like, hey, here, try this out for me. And I can try things out in different environments or in different people that have, one guy may beat up his grill, one guy may take really good care of it. So when you build something and you test it here, it's not the same as putting it out in an environment with a customer that treats his stuff completely different. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time, Mark. Grillagrills.com is a website. And thank you so much for coming on and sharing your experience. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Shopify Masters, the e-commerce podcast for ambitious entrepreneurs powered by Shopify. To get your exclusive 30-day extended trial, visit shopify.com slash masters.